0: It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I told Marvin either earlier this week or last week that the last time I was at Fellowship Church was the day that Marvin uh, joined the church and was baptized. It's awesome to be back. Glad to have my family with me. For those that didn't know, I'm going to put out a little plug. I'm a grandparent now, so that's a fun different stage as we have a lot of little ones still. So getting used to that. But it's a pleasure to be here. And um, I asked Marvin to read from Luke chapter 15, the first two parables. I'm going to speak from the third parable. And we will see how these, these three go together. But I'd like to ask you a, a couple of questions as we start. Have you ever felt that you are too dirty for God? I have. Have you ever felt that you were just a bit too far gone, that not even he could welcome you back? I thought that. But are you willing when you see your filth to run back to the open arms of Jesus? What's happening here in these parables is Jesus has sat down and the publicans, the tax collectors, and the sinners are coming around him. To hear his words. Now Jesus has some hard sayings. These are some hard sayings for them to hear. They're being told by Jesus that they are sinners. That they are not good. That they are not worthy. But they keep coming back to him to hear. But what we see is that the Pharisees begin to loudly complain that Jesus is sitting with sinners. It angers them. These Pharisees are the ones who have held the law. They have walked righteous before the law, so they believe. And it angers them that one who claims to be the son of God, one who is at least a prophet, would would, uh, demean himself to sit with sinful people. They get angry about this. So there's two people, two groups of people in this story. One group is the Pharisees. So as we go through this, I want you to think about what the Pharisees may be thinking through this message of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there's a group of sinners who are sitting at his feet and listening Two very different groups listening to the same message. Now, I don't want this number to scare you, but we're going to go through seven steps of a downward decline and then seven steps of a climb to restoration Now, I know 14 steps sounds like a lot on a Friday night. I promise you I'll get through them in less than an hour. (laughs) The title of this message is Ruin and Restoration. Ruin and Restoration from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. So I'm not going to read this parable. I'd rather tell you the story of the parable of the prodigal son. It's one of the most common known parables parables that we have heard, I believe it's the longest parable of, of Jesus Christ, but he follows it up with these two other parables that were just uh, read about the joy of something being restored. So Jesus tells them that there is a certain man who has two sons. The younger son wants his inheritance. Now, at the time that this is being said in this day and age, that is unheard of to ask for your inheritance early, especially the younger son. He's only due one-third of the portion of what the father owns. The older son gets two-thirds of the portion. But this son wants his his inheritance, and he wants it right now. So the father gives him his inheritance. Not many days later, this shun man grabs up all that he owns, and he goes not just to a... Out of his father's house, out of the county, out of the city, out of the state. He goes to a far country, as far away from his father as he can get. And he begins to live a life of riotous living. He's partying it up. He's having a big party. He's got lots of friends surrounding him. He is the life of the party. And then a famine comes. And his money is gone. And he realizes very quickly no one loved him. They loved his money. And as soon as his money was gone, they were gone. And still he finds himself in this foreign land. And instead of going back to his father, back to the homeland, he indentures himself to a Gentile. He becomes his servant. And to make matters worse, this Gentile master sends him to feed the pigs. An animal so filthy, the Jews wouldn't even touch it or get near it. And now he is in the midst of the pigs feeding them. And if that's not enough shame, and if that's not bad enough, this guy is starving to the point that he's willing to eat these spiky pods that the pigs eat because only their stomachs can handle it. And he's willing to eat that. And he looks around and no man will have mercy on him, not even to give him a scrap of bread. And then he awakens. And he looks around and he sees that I am in a pigsty. Willing to eat pig's food, indentured to a Gentile in a faraway country, when my father has servants who are well fed and well housed. I'm going to get up and go back to my father. I'm going to tell them that I him that I have sinned, that I have wronged him, that if he will just treat me as one of his servants, I am no longer his son, but a servant, then at least I will be fed, at least I will be comfortable. And at least I won't be in this absolute desperate state. He comes home and the father runs to meet him and he grabs him and he hugs him and he kisses him. And as the son is trying to give his well-planned, prepared speech, his father stops him and says, Welcome home. Kill the fatted calf. Put a robe upon him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. My son that was dead is made alive and he's brought home. And there's this big... Joyful celebration going on inside, but there's an older brother outside, diligently working the fields. And he comes in and says, what is this noise? One of the servants comes and says, your brother's alive. He's come home. And instead of having joy that his lost brother had come home, he gets angry and refuses to even go in the house. And his father comes out to entreat him. That says your brother was dead and now he's back. And he says, I've been here the whole time. And not once have you given me anything. And the father tells him, son, it was all yours all along. It's always been here. But your brother who was once dead is now brought back. He was lost and now he is found. So what we see in this story is a young man who goes on a life. Of ruin. So let's look at the seven steps of ruin that this young man goes through. In verse 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, and he divided it unto them his living. The first step to this young man's ruin was his own self will, it was something that he wanted. What was best for me at the time? Not what's best for my father's farm. Not what's best for my father. What's not? Not what's best for my brother. Not what's best for all the servants. All the people that depended on them. What is best for me? He's telling them, Father, you owe me something. You owe me a third of that inheritance. I deserve it. And I deserve it now. This is a shocking request because his father's still alive. The, com- the inheritance comes upon the passing of the father. And the double portion would go to the older son and the single portion would go to the younger son. But he's telling his father while he's still alive, dad, I want what you can give me. I want what you owe me. And I want it now. In essence, he's saying, dad, I don't care about you. And I wish you were dead. You mean nothing to me, Father. Not a thing. I'm not willing to wait until you pass an old age in peace to get what's coming to me. I don't care about you, Father. I care about everything that you can give me. And that's as good as you are to me. This is a shocking request to ask. But what does the Father do? He gives it to him. He gives him his inheritance. So his first step of decline is not seeing the good of his father, the good of the whole of the family, the good of the farm, the ranch, whatever it may be. It is all about what I want now. His own self will. Step number two to his decline to ruin is in verse 13. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together. Selfishness is his second step. He gathered everything and took off. Now, not only did he just take a third of the farm from his father and his brother, but he himself left, so he's not there to labor anymore either. Complete selfishness. You know what, Dad? I hate you so much that I'm going to not just take my inheritance, take the money that you owe me, but I'm also going to leave. I'm going to leave this farm. I'm going to leave my brother. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave the servants. Because they don't care about any of it. Because it's not what's best for me. What I want is to live the good life. What I want is to experience life. I want to go do the things that please me the most. I've heard all the warnings, Dad. I've heard all the warnings, church. I know them. But you really don't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. I know my own heart. I know what I need. I've heard those scriptures. I've heard the preaching and the sermons. That's all good and great for y'all. But I know what I need. So I'm going to take everything I own and I'm leaving. Complete selfishness. His only thought is for himself. Step three. Again in verse 13. And he took his journey into a far country. Step three to this downward path of ruin is separation. Separation. He went far away. Now remember who Jesus is talking to. He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the Pharisees, the tax collectors and sinners. But they're all Jews that he's speaking to here at this moment. This young man goes not just to another area of, of, Jew, of Judah. He doesn't go to just another city. He doesn't go from Judea to Bethlehem or, or one of the other cities. He goes to a far, far away country. His whole purpose is to get as far away from his father as he possibly can. As far away as he possibly can from his father. Far away from his, as he can from the temple. As far away as he can from the rules. As far away as he can from the laws. He wants to completely wash his hands of his past. I don't need all of these constraints of religion. I don't need all of these constraints that the church brings in. I don't need the church looking over my shoulder. I don't need dad looking over my shoulder. Mom looking over my shoulder. I certainly don't want the preacher seeing what I'm doing out here. I know these rules and they're not for me. I'm going to get as far away as I possibly can. Because he doesn't want the influence. He doesn't want the influence of his father. He doesn't want the influence of the temple leaders. He doesn't want the influence of his religion. He's been raised in his whole life. He wants to fully separate himself from all that he knew. And I'm going to tell you. Many of us in this room, if not most of us in this room, have been there. For those that haven't, I praise God that you have not gone down this dark path of ruin. But many, many people have thought these exact same thoughts. I grew up in a preacher's home. I knew what I was supposed to believe. I knew what I was supposed to do. But that wasn't, that's not for me. That's all good and well if you believe it. But I don't need to be constrained by these rules. I don't need to be constrained by this this fence of protection that God has placed around me. I know what I need. I know what's good for me. I know what's best for me. And most of all, I know what will make me happy. And it's not this. It's not working on this farm. It's not plowing in this kingdom. It's not being in this church. I'm ready to go live my life the way that I see fit. Not the way that Father sees fit. Not the way that the church sees fit. Not the way that the brothers and sisters I've grown up around with see fit. Not the way that the church sees fit. The way that I see fit. The only way to do that is for me to get as far away from all of it as I possibly can. So he completely separates himself to a far, far country. Step four is also in verse 13. And after he'd gotten to that far country there, he wasted his substance with riotous living. Step four of this path to ruin is sensuality. He wasted his possessions. Now, the word that is used here for wasted is the same word that they use for when they throw the wheat up in the air to separate the chaff from the wheat. Is to disperse. He is literally taking his money and just throwing it in the air. I'm a free man. I'm free. I'm free. Dad and mom aren't telling me what to do. The church isn't looking over my shoulder. The preacher's not looking at me during the Sunday morning when he's preaching. I am free. I'm going to live this up. So he literally just wastes everything that his family has worked hard for. It's a third of the farm he just took away and he is going to just live it up on his own selfish, self-willed desire as separated as it possibly can be so that no one can come and tell him what he's doing is wrong. Nobody knows me here. I am going to live my life the way that I want it. Nobody can tell me. Nobody can tell me no. Nobody can come and correct me. Nobody's going to see what I'm doing. They didn't have Facebook back there in those days. So it's a little harder sometimes everybody sees now. But nobody could see what he was doing. And it was perfect for him. But it wasn't just wasting his money. He was doing this in riotous living. So now as he not only separated himself, he knows what's right and wrong. He has been taught. He has been raised. But he knows what he's about to do is contrary to everything that he has been taught. And he goes about in a life of debauchery. He's hiring prostitutes. They're getting drunk. And he is just simply spending his money. This guy is the literal life of the party. He has got it all. This foreign guy comes in from some other place with just bags of money. It's like, hey, who wants to go with me? Let's go. Nah, no, that's it. Everybody swarms around him. That's the guy to be around. Bags of money, literally, and he's throwing it in the air. Let's go. Hey, I've got a friend I want you to meet. Can you host a party? Sure, not a problem. Hey, we're going to have a get-together. Do you want to host it? Not a problem. i got money coming out of my ears. Let's live this up. I love it. So he's living this life of complete sensuality. Remember, he knows what he's doing is wrong. He knows this is contrary to the way he was raised. He knows this is contrary to the laws of God. Not just mom and daddy's rules and I'm free from their house. He knows what he is doing is contrary to the very laws of God. And still willingly, he lives this life of complete debauchery, riotous living. Nobody to tell me no. And he is the life of the party. Because he has the money. Not because of who he is. They couldn't give a hoot who this guy was. They didn't know him. Some foreign guy comes in with a bunch of money spending it. I'm going to take advantage of that. And then in verse 14. And when he had spent it all. Now that's bad enough. He just spent a third of this farm's fortune. A third of it. He had spent it all. A famine comes into the land. There's no food all of a sudden. There's no water. There's no rain. The crops aren't growing. And this man is all of a sudden out of money. His fifth step to the spiritual ruin is his spiritual destitution. He is now spiritually destitute. His spirit is brought low. He began to be in want. That means he had nothing. He was lacking everything. This is as low as he can go. His money's gone. His friends are gone. Now we're all thinking, man, we all know the right thing to do. Go back. Go home. Dad, I'm sorry. Can you take me back in? But he is so angry and so despising of his father that even in his lowest state, he is spiritually destitute and has no love for the Father. So I've got nothing. I'm starving. Every single one of my friends has abandoned me because they weren't really my friends. I find out now they didn't care anything about me. Just the fun life I was giving them. I've got nothing. This man is at the very bottom. And yet he still hates his father so much that he's willing to stay And be completely spiritually destitute without God in his life. Not even God knows what's best for me. I'm not going to go back to him. I'm going to figure this out on my own. And the scripture may have been telling me no this whole time. The church may have been telling me no this whole time. And I'm not going to go back and prove them right. I'm just not going to do it. Because my self-will, my selfishness, and my pride is too great to go back to what I hated so much, to what I ran from, and let them tell me that they were right and I was wrong. Not going to do it. I've got no one because I need no one. Yes, I'm at the pits, I'm at the bottom, but I don't even need God. I'm not even going to call out to Him in my most desperate time. Because I don't need Him. I'm a man of my own making. I know what is right for me. I know what my heart needs. What my heart desires. I refuse to go ask God for it. Because He wants to put me on some path I care nothing for. He wants me to go back to a father that I absolutely (coughs) despise. And on top of that I would be shamed. Not for me. So he's spiritually destitute. Even in his lowest state, he has no stomach for God. No heart for God. No taste for God. No desire for God. So when he think he can't get any lower, remember, we're speaking to the Jews here. A group of Pharisees. A group of tax collectors and sinners. But Jews, if that wasn't bad enough, this is as bad as it gets. But then... He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. The sixth step to this path of ruin, this self-degradation. He is degrading himself, bringing himself into a shameful position. Instead of finding someone from his own land, he doesn't even go cross back over the border to his own land and say, Hey, I'm a Jew. I ran away from home. I've lost everything. Can I work here? On your farm, he doesn't even do that. He refuses. He hates it so much that he won't even go back to the country. So he indentures himself as a servant to a Gentile man. Hadn't the Jews had enough of that? They spent four hundred years in slavery in Egypt. Now Rome is bearing over them. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to God. I'm not going back to my Father. I would rather be the slave of a Gentile than go back to God. I would rather be the servant of those we hate than go back to my Father. I have no taste for that. So he joined himself as a servant to a Gentile. Now that's bad. Can it get worse? It gets worse. Much, much worse. That man from the other country that he's now working for sends him out to work on his farm. You're a good farmhand, great. I have pigs I want you to feed. Oh, we just crossed a major line here. Those are unclean animals. We can't be around them. We can't touch them. They stink for one. But God said we're not supposed to. But this guy doesn't care anything about God's law, and much more. He cares more about his pride. Now, it sounds crazy to say a guy that is hungry and is going to go feed pigs is prideful. But that's exactly why he's feeding pigs right now. It's because he is too proud to go home and admit, I need you, Father. I need you. Now, at this point in the story, I can imagine that the Pharisees are absolutely loving this. (laughs) Oh, man. Scribes, I mean, the uh, tax collectors and sinners over there. That's you, eating pigs. Not us. I hope y'all feel really low right now. Sinners and tax collectors are over here, and you know how they're feeling? Really low right now. Because they identify with something. I have not loved God, nor have I loved his law, nor have I loved his people. The Pharisees over here, we love God. We love his law. We stayed home near the temple. The sinners are sitting over here realizing that their story is being told to them. That's a low feeling to realize for someone to tell you just how low that you've really, really gone. Now that's bad. He's now feeding the pigs. But it gets worse. How can it get worse than the Jew that is starving and in bondage to a Gentile is sent to feed the pigs? This guy's got nothing to eat. He is so hungry. No one will give him a morsel of bread. He is so hungry. He is willing to eat the food of the unclean pigs. Now these pods are from a carob tree. And they're these spiky, prickly, hard to eat pods. And the reason that they fed them to pigs is because pigs' stomachs can handle anything. A pig's stomach can digest anything it eats except for teeth. That's a really, really strong stomach. This guy is so hungry that he's willing to eat a spiky, probably horribly tasting, probably horrible to digest pod because he is starving. This guy has completely self degraded himself. He has brought himself to the worst possible state that he could be in. But even more than that, number seven, he is spiritually starved. Spiritually starved. In verse 15, and he went and he joined himself to the citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Now, if he had been in a spiritual state of mind, he would have known to have stopped all of those seven steps. If he had had a spiritual mind, a mind, a heart, After God, he would have stopped and started walking back the other way. But he willingly went down each step of decline into the pits of despair. He is completely void at this point. He has nothing left in his tank. He's done. He's feeling the shame at this point. He's at the lowest he could possibly be. The lowest he could possibly be. Nobody's going to help me. I know life is bad, but I don't want to go back still. I won't be in subjection to all of those rules. What is the church? Why do they have the right to tell me what's right and wrong? Who is that preacher to stand up there and tell me what's right and wrong? He's a sinner too. How can they judge me? I won't go back. And then he finds himself at the absolute bottom of a valley. Have you been there? Have you walked those steps down knowing that it's leading to destruction? And yet you willingly put one step forward after the other. Down those steps of ruin because of your pride, because of your self-will of your selfishness, because of your disdain for what is holy. He's at the bottom of this valley. Now I want you to picture over here, you've got these seven steps coming down. And right here is where he's at. The valley doesn't get any deeper. He can't even dig deeper. He's at the bottom. It's just rock there. But then something happens to this man. And he looks over and he sees steps on the other side of that valley going up and this is the path to restoration seven steps to rep, to restoration he's gone down into the bottom can't get any further down he's spiritually void he's empty and then in verse 17 it says and when he came to himself this man was bankrupt He was emotionally, spiritually bankrupt. He was hungry. And he woke up. He saw that light bulb click. Because God pricked him mightily. And the first step when you're at that valley, at the very bottom, and you feel like you can't go anywhere else, is a realization of who you are. He woke up and realized where he was. He looked around it as like he'd been in a stupor. And he wakes up and he looks around and he's like, I'm sitting in the middle of pigs. I'm covered in pig filth. I'm eating pods that pigs eat, have no money, and I'm a servant to a gentile. What am I doing here? And this just flood of guilt and shame comes pouring in because his eyes were awakened to see. Just Who he was in comparison to his father. The man he hated the most. The man he despised so much that he wished he would just die and give him his money. He now realizes who he really is before his father. He woke up. He should have seen it at each step down where he was. But he refused. Because his heart, his heart was hardened and his eyes were blinded and he refused to see. He didn't want to see. He hated what was good. He loved the darkness more than light. And he willingly climbed down each step into his utter ruin. But God is merciful. And that he grabbed that man and he shook him. And he said, wake up! Don't you see where you are? better and it's me the father but he had to come to this realization his eyes had to be opened and he had to see that the way to the father is this path up and it's going to have hard steps it's not easy to climb out of that pit but it's a a step that you can take and it's a climb that you can take Through the power and the presence of God Almighty in your life. The great El Shaddai. You can climb this step. Every step back up in this involves not the man. Every step back to his restoration involves a view of his father. He awoke and he saw where he was. And he realized what was in his father's house. Verse 17, he came to himself and said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. When he awakens, he remembers his father. And then the second step that he has to do to come back to this path of restoration is he has to make a resolution. Verse 18 I will arise. That's a hard step. In fact, that's probably the hardest step. Is to actually get up. Realize. I have been wrong. And I'm going to make a resolution to do what is right. So he says, I will arise and I will go to my father. I will arise and I will go to him. He had to make this decision right then and there in the midst of the pigsty. He had to tell himself, I have nowhere else to go. I can't go back out to this foreign land. No one loves me. I have no money. But he also realized that they never loved him and they never cared for him. And without his father, what his desperate state was. But even as a servant in his father's house, there is food to spare. But he had to make a resolution. Brothers and sisters, if you're in here tonight and you find yourself at those bottom steps, realize that it is hard. But you can arise. You can get up. Because when God Almighty is holding your hand, it's not you pulling yourself up by the rope. It is him reaching down into the fifth of that filth of that pigsty and lifting you up by his hand and by his might and holding you firm and you must know that he will never let me go even though my hands are muddy with the muck of pigs he will hold me fast rise up rise up and be resolved to change don't awaken and say I know I'm at the bottom but I don't know where to go yes you do you have a Father who wants you, who loves you. You can arise and you can go to Him. But you must make that resolution. Now we're going to fall back down. He's going to slip on these steps. He's covered in mud and filth and muck from those pigs. So as He's climbing these steps, realize you might trip. You might fall. There's traps on that way up. It's a lot harder. That path down looks beautiful. It looks pretty until you start getting to those bottom steps, but it's too late at that point. That those steps up, they can be hazardous for you at times because you have an adversary who wants you to stay in that bottom valley. He hates to see you wake up. And he hates to see you rise up. And he hates to see you make a resolution to follow God. And he will try at every step to stop you. So it is not an easy journey to climb back up these steps. For one, you're full of shame. You're covered in filth. And now you have someone trying to drag you back down. But be resolved. That I will arise. And I will go back to my Father. Verses 18 through 19, the third step is a step of repentance. You can't just awaken to see where you're at and say, you know what? It was just better there. I'm just going to go back there for now. No, he realized what he had done. It wasn't just waking up and saying this just isn't comfortable. He woke up and realized he had sinned. He realized he was at the bottom and he realized he had a loving father and that he had sinned against him. So this next step is repentance. He says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. That shows where his pride is now gone. That pride has gone out the window. I just want to go back to him. And I'm not even worthy to go back to him. I don't even know if He'll take me back. I wouldn't take me back, Father. Just, just put me out in the barn. Just let me live there. I know I have food. I know I have uh, clothing. I know I have shelter. But just take me back because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. When you see, when you see your filthy state. And you realize that there is a loving Father who for all these years you have willingly turned your back on. You have readily ran away from. You have gladly mocked and turned your back to. Brothers and sisters, repentance is a beautiful thing. To know that He still loves me that he would even accept me back into the farm to live in a barn? God, I've sinned. Matthew Henry says we must not despair of the worst. For while there is life, there is hope. The grace of God can soften the hardest heart. And give a happy turn to the strongest heart. Stream of corruption. There is no heart too hard that God cannot soften it. There is no pit too low that God will not readily and willingly and lovingly reach down into and get his hand into that filth and bring you up. He wants to grab you from that
1: and he will have
0: his own. He's not scared of how far you've gone. You are not outside of His reach. We all think we have sinned too much. Even Paul said it. I'm the chiefest of sinners. I've been there. I've been there. God, why? Why would you ever, ever even turn your eyes towards me? I'm not worthy to look upon. And God says, you are mine. You are mine. There is nothing He cannot change. He can change you. And if you know someone. If you have loved ones in your family. Children in your family. Parents, brothers and sisters. That you think are too far gone. Know that they are not too far gone for your Savior. Because you are too far gone for your Savior. If He can grab you. He can grab anyone. No one is outside of His reach. But we have to realize that we need Him to reach down and grab us up and live in repentance. Step four of our climb back to restoration in verse 20. And He arose. You have to return back to God. Now there are some in here who have known God, who have loved God and God loves, but you have gone down a slippery slope. You've climbed down to that bottom pit and then you woke up to realize what you had shunned, despised. There are others in here who have never known the joy and love of that father. But for both, there is only one option. Go to him. Go to him. I will arise and I will go to my father. Imagine this person's return. Picture this. He's been gone for a while. He didn't go to the pigsty until he was really hungry. There was a famine in that land. I'm sure he tried to scrimp around and scrounge around and get something. But he hadn't had money in a while, hadn't bathed in a while. He goes to this farm and he's been living with pigs. Now, I don't know who all has been around pigs, but they're nasty. Pigsty is gross. It is muddy. It stinks like crazy, and it's just, it's just mush. It's it's gross. Well, this guy's been living in it, and he wakes up, realizes what he's in, and he arises and he goes. So think of this man. This is a hard walk, a very hard walk. It's a walk of shame. It's a walk of regret. It's a walk of spiritual fatigue, worldly fatigue, tiredness. This guy is weak. He's filthy. He's sweating. So now you've got this sweat mixed with this pig filth that's turning into a big mud all over him. He's hungry. But more so than any of those physical things, he's filled with shame and sorrow for what he had done. Picture him slowly trudging along. Head hung low. Feet just dragging the ground. Just muddy and filthy. That's that's us. We're muddy, filthy, desperate sinners. The worst of the worst. The smelliest of society. And we're walking back to God. God. Kids, have you ever just royally, royally messed up? And then you realize you've got to go to mom and dad and admit what you have just done. <coughs> I, I had to do that a few times growing up. So I tell you, that's a hard walk. You, you know you were wrong. You know you got to fess up. Because it's usually better if you fess up before they find out. You learn that after a few times. Man, walking from your bedroom to their bedroom is the longest walk you will ever take. Oh, Lord help me. That's what this guy's doing. He had just rejected his father, this was not a short walk. Imagine that burden that he's carrying. You read Pilgrim's Progress? This is Pilgrim just trying to find Celestial City. He's dirty from that trip. He's been beat up. He's been in prison now. He's got this massive burden on his back. And he is just trudging along under the weight of it. Now this is where the Pharisees say, oh yeah, the story's getting good. I cannot wait to hear what his dad says to him when he tries to come back. He is going to rake him over the coals. He's going to publicly shame him in front of everyone. In fact, he's probably just going to kick him right back out because he took his inheritance. I can't wait for this. And the older brother, the look on his face is just going to be gold. Can't wait for this. But then you realize that there's a group of tax collectors and sinners that are sitting over here weeping knowing. That's my walk of shame. That is my walk of filth, my walk of regret. But now I have this repentance pricking my heart. And I'm feeling overcome with this flood of emotions that I must go to my father. And then step five in verse 20. Step five in our path to restoration is reconciliation. Now he has prepared this speech. Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. I have sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just take me in as a hired servant. Your servants have food. I'll be happy to do that for you. So he's preparing this speech. Now we see that there's a father. Now I want you to picture they've got this big farm, it's pretty got a really really long driveway because it's up on the mountain dad's sitting out having his morning coffee beautiful sunrise coming over he can see everything coming from miles away he kind of looks he sees man who is that beggar coming through my gate he sits there and he sips his coffee he realizes the boy has returned come on keep walking I'm going to stand here and drink my coffee. Come on. Have your walk of shame. Keep coming along. I'm not coming to you. You're coming to me. You better have a good story. You better have a good apology. Because I'm going to sit here and drink my coffee. At this nice house you abandoned. And see what kind of apology you can muster. Not this father. Because he is a good, good father. This father gets up and he runs to meet his son. He doesn't look at him with shame and he doesn't despise him. He doesn't look at him with anger. He runs to his son. Now this is a son who is covered in filth and the stench of pig. And he's running and his son sees his dad running. He's like, oh man, I don't know. Dad, I sinned. I'm sorry, I'm sinned. Before he can even finish his long prepared speech, his father grabs him in his arms and he kisses his filthy face. And he loves him. And he says, you are mine. You were lost and you were dead and you are mine. You. Amen. Hallelujah that we have a loving father. Because as an earthly father, I might have stood on that porch with my cup of coffee and waited for that long, shameful walk. But not my God, not my father. He is a good, good father. He is a loving father. And he welcomes you in with open arms, as filthy as you are, because you know what that son couldn't do. I'm going to stop in the creek real quick and wash myself off and get clean enough. For Father to love me, you will never be clean enough. You will never be good enough. You will never wash the stench away. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash you whiter than snow. And this father runs to him and he reconciles with his son. The Pharisees at this at this moment are saying, Jesus, what are you you just run the story? What are you doing? And this tax this collectors and the sinners are rejoicing. Praise God for the Father. That He would take me. That He would welcome me. That He would love me. That He would hug me and kiss my filthy face. Even me. Yes, even me. Can you imagine the shock and the shame of that son? Mingled with shock and joy. He doesn't even know what to think here. he he prepared the speech and he didn't even get to finish it. And his father welcomes him in. Have you been there? Where you just felt at your dirtiest and you felt the love of God envelop you and say, you are mine. You are mine. You belong to me. And no matter where you have been, no matter what paths you have been on, you are my son and I will always love you. And then there is renewal. In verse 22, there's a renewal. He tells his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. He made him clean. He clothed him in the best garments. He restored and reclothed his son to a status. Each of these has meaning. The robe of cleanliness. The father was washing him. And putting on him a new robe. The ring of status. Only the heirs wore the ring. Or the father wore the ring. And he's saying place my ring upon his finger. Because he is my heir. He is my son. And the shoes. Because he cares for him. Those bloodied worn feet. The father cares for your littlest needs. Not only will he wash you clean. Not only does he restore you and make you an heir. But he cares for you you and then number seven this last step of a wonderful restoration is rejoicing in verses 23 and 24 and he says bring the fatted calf kill it let us eat and be merry for my son was dead and he's alive he was lost and he's found and they began to be merry he's been from the pits to the peak i've been there and when you get to that peak, when you get to that mountaintop, you can't help but shout for joy, praise God Almighty, that He has seen me, that He has loved me, that He has clothed me and that He has brought me in to be His own. Praise God, how can you not but rejoice and be merry. His father's excited. He's rejoicing. This fatted calf is reserved for the most special of occasions. And without a moment's hesitation, he doesn't say, okay, son, now that you're back, I've got a few jobs I want you to do. I need you to prove yourself to me. He says, kill it. Let's get this feast going. My son's alive. Much joy. This is a royal feast. And brothers and sisters, that is what happens when what was lost is now found. The first parables we heard. The 99 were there, but the angels in heaven rejoice when just one of those lost sheep is found. That one coin was lost, but when she found it, she gathered all around her to say, Look what I have found! How can there not be rejoicing when there is a restoration of a sinner to come to the heart of Jesus Christ? There must be rejoicing in the lost coming. Or what about that older brother? Those last 15 through 32. We're not going to read those. What of him? Wasn't he faithful? He stayed. Wasn't he deserving? He did his father's will. You know, I struggled with this parable a lot as a teenager and a young adult. Until I realized that it wasn't about what this Pharisee was doing at all. It was all about his heart. The older son represents the Pharisees here, and they may have stayed close to the temple, to the Father's house, but in a hypocritical sense, were they there? They never were there for their love of the Father. The older son never stayed because he loved his Father, he only stayed because of what the Father would give him. He only stayed because of status. That's the Pharisees. They knew the Scriptures. Of all people, they should have known what was going on. They stayed faithful to the temple, but they had no love for the God of the temple. Their only love was the status they had when they walked the streets and their phylacteries were longer and they had their scriptures upon their head and they were greeted in the gates as, Rabbi, Rabbi. That was their whole desire. And that is the son. He has no love for that father. Only love for his status as the heir. These Pharisees had ready access. They had the scriptures. They had all of the prophecies. They should have been the ones declaring. This is the Messiah that came. But out of their pride. And out of their disdain for the father. The same disdain that the younger son once had. They refused to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their father. The son was angry. What in the world is this feast going on out there? He calls a servant to him. The servant tells him, Your brother's back. Man, he got mad. I'm not going in. If, if you're going to accept tax collectors and sinners, I don't want any part of it. I'm not going in. He's dirty. don't want any part of that. And the father comes out to him. As Jesus Christ did often with the Pharisees. And he says, come on in. Come on in. This home is still yours. Come on. The son says, I stayed this whole time. He never gave me anything. Son, it was always yours. Those prophecies were always for you. You Pharisees of anyone should have known. All of this was here for you to know. But the older brother hated the younger brother so much that he wouldn't even say, you're giving this feast for my brother. He says, you're giving this feast for your son. Only, he won't even call him his brother because he hates him that much. And that's the way the Pharisees looked at these tax collectors and sinners. I hate them. These are the Jews. These are the Jews. They should be rejoicing that there's more Jews coming to the knowledge. But you're of the wrong type. You're not worthy of me. No view of the father. You're not worthy of me. But this younger son sees who he is before the father. Completely desperate. Completely needy. This... Depiction that Jesus Christ gives us in closing of Him putting on these robes of righteousness, placing on your finger that ring of restoration and these putting sandals upon your feet. It's not for the material benefits that we gain from the Father. That's not why the Son came back. He came back because He loved His Father. And he realized that nothing, nothing in this world can ever separate him from the love of that father. Not even the stench of the pigs. What does Romans chapter 8 verses 35 through the end tell us? Nothing will separate you from the love of the father. Famine, peril, nakedness, death. Nothing will take you from his love when you're his own. Nothing But it took this son to get to the bottom, to the filthiest place that he could be to realize that his father still loved him. God created us to live in a loving relationship with him. Nothing can take you from that loving relationship of a loving father. If you're struggling today, return If you've never followed Christ, get up and rise and follow him. But do not, do not stay down in the filth of the pigsty. Acknowledge who you are before a righteous and a holy God. And when you run to him, he will embrace you in his arms.